Welcome to Airwaves, the official podcast of the Naval Air Systems Command. I'm your host, Michael Lauren Prue, and today we're on the airwaves to talk about additive manufacturing and how this game-changing technology is helping to rapidly deliver capability and solve emergent fleet needs. Joining us today is Liz McMichael, the Navair Additive Manufacturing and Digital Thread Integrated Product Team Lead, and Ling Xu, a systems engineer with the Additive Manufacturing Team. Thank you both for joining us. So let's start with the background. What is additive manufacturing? It's 3D printing, you know, it's printing objects instead of paper. It's a digital technology. It is incredibly advantageous for um, supply and for some of the things we're doing at airplanes because it's, it's digital and it shortens the timeline for you know, development through actually fielding a part. You're using the term digital. How is AM playing into our digital transformation we have ongoing at Navair? A lot of the digital work that we're doing is, is really about acceleration and agility. It's about making, having the, the tools and the data that we need to make the right decisions. 3D printing is really not about the printers. It's about having the right data so that the printers make the same thing that we know is going to work on an airplane and can be approved. So it's very linked to that initiative. Additive manufacturing is often referred to as a disruptive technology. Ling, why is that? Well, additive manufacturing is really a completely different method from traditional manufacturing. With additive manufacturing, you're really building from the ground, uh, building up, whereas traditional manufacturing, you're generally machining down. So they call that actually subtractive manufacturing. With most cases of AM, it requires a complete redesign. You can build more complex structures, or at least what we consider more complex structures, more easily. There's less work involved. Uh, however, that requires a complete redesign, and that is considered disruptive. I'll add one, one note to that. I think Lynn's very correct about the technology disruption. I also think, also think it disrupts the way we actually, in terms of acquire systems, because we have to buy data that we've never bought before, or license it, or lease it. And we are challenging our supply base. We're looking at them and saying, hey, look, we think we can expand our supply base in a non-traditional way, but we also have to be careful because we don't want our current supply base to think we're abandoning them. So there's things we have to do to integrate this in across our entire life cycle that make this very challenging, I think. How are we currently using additive manufacturing at Navair? We've been using it for many years actually. If you look at additive manufacturing capability, it started 15, 20 years ago. Um, we started all the depots, started investing in some of the industrial machines for fundamentally prototyping. And that's a big advantage even though we've tried to take it past the use of AM for prototyping and saying instead of just prototyping a part, now we'll make the part and that's the part we can actually install. So there's a lot of experience with that. I think what we're trying to, to figure out now is how does, how do, does the, techno the techniques and data and processes that we've developed over the last four years, how does that make us go significantly faster and then how do we get the supply base to work with our processes or take theirs? Speaking of that supply base, how does additive manufacturing help us respond to urgent fleet needs? The most valuable way additive manufacturing can respond to urgent needs is for low volume parts. A lot of traditional manufacturing requires a significant setup uh, on their production base. And for low volume parts, that's generally not worth it to the contractor. Our industry partner had an issue. They needed eight parts. 
there was no contractor that was set up to manufacture eight parts, uh, especially in the time frame necessary. So they actually came to us with NavAird for AM request. In this particular case, we qualified the AM part and we're are currently working back with industry to um, get it on aircraft. So now we're providing to industry a part that they couldn't get through their supply chain. How do you qualify an AM part? When we talk about qualification and certification, it means that when we make something with AM, the material that we're choosing and the way we're making it, okay, is going to meet the performance requirements. And the certification part of it is, is that we're validating, whether it's via analysis or via test, that yeah, we did it right. The challenge with AM is that you're building the material at the same time as you're building the part. So what that means is that you almost inherently are going, okay, well, I've got to, how do I using this new, new material? And that, that gets more and more complex for metals as the materials change. And if you change this knob when you're building it, it changes how the material comes out the other end as well as the design of the part. So what we did is we figured out how to, lock, how to, how to get through that. We figured out how to lock down the process make sure that we understood how to build it so that the performance requirements could be met. But that's kind of tricky. And part of that is, is it's a mindset change because very often when you do a design, you choose the material first and then you do the design. Here we're saying, here's the performance requirement. We can change the material and the design at the same time and Iterate that until we get the right output and the optimal output. Slightly different process, a little more complex, and it actually challenges some of how we do that qualification and certification. That's what we've, we've been working through. Most of our work has been with polymer with that. We're really now starting to step into metal and being able to do that with metal parts, which is kind of the, one of the bigger things we want to go after for readiness. I want to talk more about how we're using AM to respond to urgent fleet needs. You recently manufactured a replacement part that was going to take an estimated 500 days to deliver, yet you did it in 48 hours. Tell me what happened and how you determined that additive manufacturing was a viable solution. Okay, so I'll start from the beginning. We received a request from Japan for a back shell on a jumper plug for the armament computer. This plug tells the computer how many stations there are on the F-18, which varies depending on which model. Um, in this particular case, the part had a lead time of 500 days, and they had an aircraft down for this, so speed to fleet was major concern here. First thing we did was determine if we were able to additively manufacture the part, which requires determining the performance requirements. From a structural standpoint, no problem. It was originally an aluminum part and we, we determined that we could manufacture it out of polymer. Structurally, no issues. We further enhanced that by going to an ESD polymer printed material as well, just for insurance. But essentially we were able to redesign the part for AM, send the, instruction, the assembly instructions for the part itself, the print instructions as well as the assembly instructions for the next higher assembly to the fleet and they were back flying within three days? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we approved it in 48 hours and they were flying, I think, in the next, you know, they, they tested it, validated it, and then had it on the airplane and the airplane plane was up. And to add on to that, um, during this time we were working with all of the NAVAIR subject matter experts to determine the requirements and determine and 
to determine how we would verify that the part was compliant and met all those requirements via an EMC test. It was pretty, in my perspective, this was one of the more complicated fleet things that we did. And Ling and the team did a great job because they had to get not just the AM experts in, but also all of the other folks that had to do the wiring redesign. We had to confirm with the fleet that they could do it. So that was just, it, we turned that over the weekend, by the way. So it was, it was quite, it was quite an, an exciting weekend for us. I think my perspective is, is the team just did a fantastic job pulling all of the details together. How does additive manufacturing contribute to readiness? Here's what I tell you. I know we're making progress. What our challenge next is, is how do we quantify that, right? There's two places that we need to do that, and Ling's been working with uh, the engineering side to figure out the first step, which is if I go look at my aircraft dashboard, how do I screen all of those parts on the dashboard and know which ones are AMable? In other words, have a high likelihood of being able to be, um, be made via AM, because some things can't be right now. The next step is, okay, if we do make these parts, all right, how fast do we do it and how much does it cost? So what's our cost? and scheduled performance, and we have to quantify that. And lastly, individual parts that are approved only give you the potential for cost savings and the potential for scheduled savings. You have to actually track how many are made, and then who's making them, where they're going on the airplane, and be able to track that. So I know this part made an aircraft go up, and that's really important, okay? The airplane's back up for the squadron. How do I quantify that? overall in terms of our readiness metrics. So we've talked about speed of fleet, readiness, and cost savings. What are the other benefits to using additive manufacturing? I'll give one example, and that's performance. We are working on additively manufactured metals. Currently at Lakehurst, we are working on sintered powder metal uh, on a powder bed fusion. With that, as far as performance goes, that can actually exceed cast parts. I've looked at uh, CT scans of our pow centered powder bed parts compared to cast parts, and the porosity difference is night and day. Far less porosity with the AM parts. As far as polymer goes, every part we make, we, re we can redesign. This is actually the original design part, but we did redesign this for AM, and it actually it was a more efficient design a lighter weight and higher strength. Mm -hmm. So since we're going to redesign every part for AM anyways, we often take that opportunity to increase the performance of that. Big picture, I think the other thing that it adds is, hey, I think we talk a lot about agility. Well, we need agility in design because we have things that we have made by a traditional manufacturing that aren't optimized. And an example would be just like the redesign. We can actually make, take five parts that would it would take to be made with a traditional manufacturing method to make it one. And we can use the technology because you can't make it with standard manufacturing, but additive works that way. So that gives you better reliability, gives you better performance, just in the design side. And then when you add in, as Ling mentioned, the materials that we're looking at getting, we know that we can do much better with castings as we get other materials that are you know, higher strength materials. The other thing we're noticing a lot of things are metal that don't need to be. We've got materials that now we can use for electronics. We've got materials that we can potentially use for more of the EMI side of the house. And we've got materials that may ultimately be able to be batteries as well as structural material. So those are the kinds of things that the material side's gaining us. Next step is 
how do, I, how do we really look at other materials? How do we print energetic materials for explosives and rocket motors? How do we print sensors? How do we print batteries? Okay. And printing is really just digital manufacturing, but how do we make sure that we're safe? How do we qualify and characterize, like things said, so we know what we're making? But there's many more things that are coming down the pike that I think they're going to really transform how we design things and how we ultimately sustain things. Let's talk future. What are the possibilities with additive manufacturing? So I'll start with um, parts designed from the ground up for AM. I was recently at an OEM manufacturer that has been working with added with AM and they designed, they had, uh, were working on engine components and they had consolidated 300 parts into one. Now, aside from the performance benefit from, of AM and the geometries that they could create from that, that's going from 300 parts to one, that means reduced weight. You don't, you no longer need all the fasteners connecting those parts. And the, think of the logistics um, supplied in, instead of tracking 300 parts, you're tracking one. I think, and, and for, for me, I think if we do this the right way, we have a, an agile vendor base that can respond so much more quickly. Now, there's a challenge there, but the challenge, interestingly, is going to be less with the technology and more with the business processes. If we're going to do this, we better be able to contract it quickly. We better be able to get to those vendors quickly. So if, if it turns out that I can make this in an hour, but it takes me six months to get a contract in place, I don't think we're quite moving where we want to go. But, there's a, but, if we, but digital applies to that too. And I've talked to the digital office here, and they're, they're really thinking forward about the business side of this. How do we accelerate our processes so the technology doesn't get hamstrung by the, process, the business process? How do we make sure that we can make that clean and still meet all the acquisition regs? That's the next challenge. But that's all digital. And so that's how we link it together. How do we link the business processes, the technical processes, the sustainment processes in a way that lets us go much, much faster? I think we use this and some of the examples to kind of lead turn that. How do we move this forward? We'll see where we go. Liz, why are you so proud to lead the additive manufacturing effort at Navair? Because it's the best team I've ever had in 30 years. It is the best team at Navair, in my opinion. It's also the youngest team I've ever met. I mean, I've, I've been privileged to have some of the smartest kids coming out of a school. They started working on this team before they graduated. And it turns out when you have a group that's talented, Ling being part of that group and Ling leading the engineering side of that group, they, if, if you give them the room, they will move faster than I've, I mean, I stand back sometimes and just let's get, get all the barriers out of the way and let them go. And that's really been my privilege is to see that. And they're just, they come up with, <laughs> they just move really, really fast. So that, the, the fun that I have, I still have fun coming to work today, every day, even on a Monday morning, which is hard for me after 30 years. It's just, it's an incredible team. And the support from leadership has been great. I mean, all Admiral Peters, Admiral Grossglags, Admiral Dunaway, they've all been behind us, understanding that there's some challenges and just helping us move it forward. So it sounds like Navier is really leading the charge. Thank you both for being here today to talk about additive manufacturing. It's an exciting technology that's contributing to speed, readiness, and agility now and will continue to do so in the future. That's it for this edition of Airwaves. Thanks for listening.